You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is not only to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon in conversation about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and in our community. This conversation is inspired by our 2022 Advent series, What Are We Waiting For? You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. All right, so here we are in the last week of Advent. Jeremy, you've made it. I know. You've preached your last Advent sermon in this series. I'm so happy. (laughs) You did a good job, though. You did a good job. God is good. Yesterday, though, you were talking at one point in your sermon about throwing pottery. Yes. And I'm guessing that that is like a technical term for something. But all I could picture in my mind was like you with a clay pot in your hand aimed at like one of those axe targets. You and absolutely throwing correct. pottery. Yes, Rebecca and I transformed our shed into a rage room where we just buy pottery from Goodwill and destroy it. Like I said, I'm sure it's a technical term that doesn't mean the picture that it brought to my mind. But tell no. what's it mean to so, throw pottery? So um, I always had on my bucket list. I've always wanted to use a potter's wheel and throw pottery, which is the the verb of making pottery on a uh, potter's wheel. And so uh, for my birthday in COVID, Rebecca, we went to a class with a couple of friends in Philadelphia and had a great time. And I thought, wow, how much is it to get a wheel? And then I looked it up and super cheap China versions are uh, available for as much as the class was. There you go. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. So then jumped the gun, got a wheel, bought some clay, and then realized, oh, I need a kiln to fire this. And they aren't cheap. Sure. And local shops weren't willing. And and so God provided we were able to get um, an extremely old but extremely cheap kiln. And then someone from the congregation ended up uh, gifting us one, which is just such a blessing. And so uh, we've been now for almost two years. Yeah, two years throwing pottery in our garage, um, making a whole gambit of things, inviting youth kids over to, to throw and young adults, and it's been quite a blessing. Not going to lie, that sounds a lot less exciting than my picture. Yeah, but we also, when things go horribly wrong or if they crack in the kiln, we do then get to smash them into a bunch of little be- uh, bits to recycle them. And actually, if people pay attention uh during communion Sundays, usually Scott's Scott uses a what do you say? Is that teal aqua? How would you describe aqua? Aqua uh, plate and chalice for communion is a set that I made for him when he left Trinity, and it's not the best glaze work. I was ex- I was experimenting with a new glaze and got overexcited, and so please don't judge the glazing, but. Uh, no, it's a lovely, lovely set, and uh, I hope in the future can maybe bring back making pictures for baptism, uh, which is a nice thing I got to do at Trinity, where I'd make uh, pictures, and then each family would get to keep the picture that was used during baptism. I love so, that. Yeah, no, God's used it in ministry, and it's been quite the blessing. And now, I have a couple kids now in youth uh, group that take pottery classes at school, and so we're talking. I literally just received a message six minutes ago from a student sending me a, a pottery post because now we just share pottery things we see online. Yeah. There you go. It's great. 
pottery. We're all just clay in the potter's hand, right? Amen. And God's working through it all, which is blessing to witness. Uh, another thing that kind of struck me as funny, as you were talking yesterday, you were talking about, you know, Alexander uh, the Great and how his kind of political program was to conquer our people and then bring in the Greek influence and Hellenize uh, that area. Um bringing everybody kind of along. But it made me think, um, and this is just kind of the way my brain was going yesterday. I was thinking about smashing pottery, but I was also thinking then about my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. And, you know, the dad in that movie was always, whenever he was introduced, you, you tell me a word. You tell me any word. And, and I tell you how it's, the root comes from Greek. <laughs> And I was going to use that exact reference uh, after talking about the education system. But I thought, A, it might steer people away from where we were going in the sermon and distract. Mm -hmm. But not distract necessarily because of how great and funny it was. But ha I feel like more than half of the people might not get that reference. And so I didn't want to, like, alienate most of the people sure. and have them like, what is he talking yeah, about? Yeah, you, you date yourself a little bit when you reference my yeah. big fat Greek wedding. Because <laughs> that's, what, early 2000s? Yeah, probably. Yeah, and, and that's the fine line, right, when you're trying to preach a sermon of illustrating a concept and making a connection for people to kind of hook onto mm -hmm. without distracting from the core message yeah. that you're actually trying to preach, yeah. right? And that's what was so hard with all the history because with the 400 years of silence, I I went through two books and uh, a nice helpful video that Linda sent me um, that, that summarized a lot of it. And there was so much that I had to cut out from the sermon that just didn't benefit, I thought, the where we were trying to go. And, um, yeah, so now if you have any questions about those 400 years, I have very good knowledge now that did not make it at all. Uh, so what was, like, the, the top thing that didn't make it in? Like, the last thing you cut out? The last thing that fell on the cutting the floor? The very last thing that got cut was um, when we talk about the Hasmonean uh, dynasty or empire, whatever you want to call it, when the Hasmonean family after the Maccabean revolt um, was leading the Israelites and they started having those different religious sects, there are the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, the Sadducees. Sadducees, and the Essenes. The Essenes. The Essenes, which we find out through Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm -hmm. um, but all of these different groups, I got to learn more of their theology and what made them different mm. when they started mm -hmm. versus all of the political climate and power changes through time that created them or, or led them to be who they were in Jesus's time. Mm -hmm. Because how they started out and how they ended up by the time Jesus was on the scene was very different. And so I'd always learned about, oh, you know, Jesus is encountering the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're like this and that, but that's not exactly how they started off. Sure. And so uh, that was also really interesting of how Jesus speaks to their different theologies where I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's the Sadducees 
who solely focus on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, where the Pharisees encapsulate the prophets as well and take that all in. So when Jesus is refuting or answering questions to the Sadducees, he's only answering with things from the first five books of the Old Testament Hmm. versus the Pharisees where he pulls from the prophets as well and other writings. And so that I I thought was really, really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, that was just another thing that just doesn't help progress where we were going with the political and religious um, turbulence, you could say, at that time before the Roman Empire took over. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about how the empires of that day, they all kind of had their way of dealing with conquered nations mm-hmm. and uh, the way they treated the people of those nations. Um, yeah. But what would you say... You know, we're not living under the the Macedonian Empire or the Roman Empire or the Persian Empire. But um, what would you say that the empire we're living under today wants for or from us mm. as subjects? I think that our specific government has relied on the trust of the people. Hmm. That we can trust what's going on to the point where we don't, you know, get upset about what's going on, that we feel for the most part there's a healthy amount of openness to us, that we're aware of what's going on. Like, yeah, CIA weapons we won't find out about for another 75 years or whatever (laughs) because you don't want that information coming out. But um, I think trust is a big thing that they desire from the people because when we feel like we can trust them, then we're usually willing to listen to them when they ask for a certain amount of taxes, right? Like, if we trust them to keep us safe with the police force and all these things, then we're willing to pay our taxes so that we can have police officers around. Mm -hmm. um, So I think trust is a very big thing. And so now that we're, we've been in a period where distrust is rising with government, and that's... um, kind of universal, but we're seeing it more on the uh, front pages of our news the past few years more. Even if it's already been there, it's getting more of a voice, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, And so what does that look like? I don't know. Um, But I think trust is very important because then otherwise you have like the Maccabean revolt where you don't like what they're doing and you don't trust them to do right by you and your people. So you go against it. And then, ironically, when the Hasmonean family who started the revolt, their ancestor, takes power, it gets to the point where they get so mad at the Jewish people, they kick them out of the temple and end up killing 6,000 in the process. Right. And so, like, power always seems to poorly affect the individuals in power. It's mm-hmm. hard to keep humble and, and relatable to the common person, I guess. Sure. Well, it goes back to that that famous quote that I forget who it's usually attributed to, but the idea that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. You know, the, the more power you get, the more influenced you yeah. are by it. Um, Which is why we need God as king, because he's the only one we can trust with that absolute power. It's true. It's true. I'm, I'm going to push back on that a little bit, though. Your, I insist. Your answer. We'll cut it out completely. Uh, <laughs> Do you think that the government that we live under here in the United States is really the empire under which we are currently being 
influenced or ruled. Oh, so it's like the government isn't truly a power who's the largest influence in our culture right now. There there are bigger or stronger dynamics at play in our culture at in general here in the West and in oh, America like in particular. And, and yeah, and I think all of that flows into um, and is actually more of a ruling power than the government is. You're right, because in the past, the government has some sort of control over the news and things that influence us on a regular basis. So, Mm -hmm. um, for example, in Mexico, the main news stations are all state-run. Sure. And so there's become a very large distrust among the people with the news sources. Mm -hmm. So with the rise of social media, everyone's going to social media to find out what's really going on. But as we also saw in COVID, and sadly they experienced it much harsher, there's a lot of misinformation on social media. So, So when it came to COVID information... They were going to Facebook, and any mm. infograph that someone drew up and threw online, they were taking as facts and then spreading it around the village for everyone to figure out. And so it's where do we have our largest influences? Um, I think social media is becoming such a large part of it. It's how we connect now around the world. Uh, has a lot of good things to it, a lot of dangerous things. There was a documentary uh, called The Social Dilemma on Netflix Uh, which really goes into the power and influence of social media and how the, we call it the algorithm, uh, which is the way that the computer calculates what you want to see. And so Facebook, Instagram, well, I mean, they're basically all owned uh, together now, um, is trying to push stuff on you based off of what they think you would like to see. And so that's why you may not see a bunch of your friends post if you haven't liked or commented on their posts in a while because they don't think you want to see it but that's also the way with advertisements with news articles all of those things and so it's almost as if the computer calculations or if the company that owned that would like to push people in a general direction and get more of certain news articles not saying that the news articles are untrue it's just they could appear more often than other ones um is that that's a, a, an interesting problem that we haven't had in society where we can more easily be pushed into uh, echo chambers and bubbles because we're only hearing what we want to hear when we're online. And um, so I think there's definitely a dangerous aspect to that, which is why I like talking to people in person so that I can meet people of all different thoughts and beliefs and realize that we have usually a lot more in common than... Uh, not, but yeah, it's it's interesting how it's shaping the culture with our kids. Um, we've kind of talked about this before on the podcast a while back, but they're very, very heavily influenced by what's available online. It's weird how now trends from a subculture in Korea can now influence kids mm-hmm. in the United States. And before it was, they would have had no idea that this was happening across the world. Right. And so now, instead of our kids' social influences uh, and peer influences strictly being whoever's within a five-mile radius or whatever, it's now every teenager in the world can be an influence to another teenager. And so, in one way, it can be beautiful in the sense that 
uh, a kid here can connect with a niche and not feel as I'm the only one in the world that enjoys this show or this music Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be and I have other people I can connect with. But then it can also create a distance of, oh, because I have this community online, then I don't need to invest in the people around me because they just don't understand or enjoy the things I like. And so how do we find that healthy balance Mm -hmm. is uh, going to be tough waters as we navigate the future. Yeah, and that that limiting ourselves or cloistering ourselves just with – um, people who think like us. It doesn't just happen on social media, though. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, I think it's sadly one of the tendencies within the church mm-hmm. um, that we have to be careful of because we're not placed in a certain location like we are here on the corner of Park and Dayton in Collingswood to be able to just attract all the like-minded people. Mm-hmm. from that area to come and be part of a church together. We're called to be salt and light, to make a difference in our community, to impact the the people in that area, to show them how God loves them through the way we love them and to serve them and um, build those relationships mm-hmm. face-to-face so that they can know and, and experience that kind of love. This all sounds hard. Yeah. Like, really, really hard. And we only have so much time. Yeah. So, yeah. How come, you mentioned this a little bit in your sermon, but like, how come when we start following God, he doesn't just make our lives easy? (laughs) Well, he tried to make it as easy as possible in the Garden of Eden. Mm. You can just dwell with him, eat whatever you want, name all the animals that you want forever. And not have to worry about death or sickness or anything like that. But to be in true relationship, we needed free will. Hmm. And so that's why having the one option that you're not supposed to do allows you to actually have free will within that situation. And so due to the fall led to everything we experience today, right? All the suffering. And so it's not that God doesn't want things to be easy and to be in relationship. That was his original intention, but he wanted it to be an authentic relationship with us. So we're in this situation that we are today Mm -hmm. because of the fall and, and not just because of one choice that was made back then, but because all of us make wrong choices, right? All of us make Mm -hmm. sinful choices. Yeah. Um, that go against the best that God offers for us. Um, And that can lead to times where it seems like God is silent. Mm. One of your big points uh, in your sermon was how God, there was that 400-year period where God wasn't speaking through the prophets any longer. So how would you say God is speaking today? Because if you look around at the world, there's there's a lot of awful stuff going on. Yeah. And there's a lot that seems like God's just kind of pulled back and mm-hmm. is letting things run wild. But yeah. how do you see God speaking today? And And maybe what are some of the voices that you hear speaking for God well, that's another thing that kind of got cut from from the sermon was when I talk about 
their heavy focus on reading scripture and interpretation when they stopped hearing from God through the prophets is that sounds a lot of like what we do in church, right? Like we're Mm. reading from the Bible, we're preaching from the Bible, we're trying to interpret what the Bible says. But the big difference is before Jesus, all believers didn't have access to the Holy Spirit to help them with discernment. Mm. And so that's the, the biggest game changer for us now is that we have the Spirit to help us uh, discern God's Word and interpret God's Word. Um, and so through the Spirit, we're able to hear a lot um, and gain more from the Scriptures than uh, the people in the in the 400 years of silence. Um, voices that I hear God in, it's, it's one of the more interesting and hard things about being a Christian is finding the voices that are truly of God. Mm-hmm. Because I was just on YouTube the other day, and I don't know how the algorithm uh, put it up on my homepage, but it was some woman uh, that considers herself a prophetess, I believe is the okay. term. And so she just posts videos whenever she feel like God has given her a message. And so she was talking about some Christian artist and saying how they need to turn from their sinful ways and Hmm. this and that. And it's like, I don't know, am I supposed to take this as a message directly from God? Is this a, someone has a distaste for a certain artist for whatever reason. And they feel like what they see in scripture goes against what they see in that artist. And so they feel like God is speaking to them to condemn. I don't know. What that is. And so when we see God talk about, um, you know, if someone claims to be a prophet in my name and what they say doesn't come true, then you'll know that it wasn't really me. Mm. And so some of these things, especially in regards to like future related stuff, is okay, well, I, I may not want to judge it because if it is truly God, I, you know, w- would want to be open to what he's. Uh, sharing at this time through somebody else. Um, But also time will tell if it was true and that, you know, can gain more validity to that person and their spiritual gifts. Um, But in regards to like preachers, you know, is that God's supposed to be speaking through them uh, and, and their sermons. And so it's always, again, bringing it back to does it align with what I see in scripture and what I know of God, if it's going far and left field, I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. about that. And that's that's where it's... And then, you know, just going to the Holy Spirit of, you know, is this um, is this God's word coming from, from this pastor? And so pastors that I believe or that I see lining up with what we're called to be as pastors and overseers of the church in like 1 Timothy 3 or... Second Timothy three, I forget. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have more reason to believe, kind of their leanings, especially if it's lining up with what I see in Scripture. But like, even I, I get nervous with just preparing these sermons because of the weight of sharing God's word, and I don't want to stray from His truth because no one needs to hear my opinion. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's just like the second sermon I did, the waiting for a king. I never worked that hard on a sermon in my life. Mm. The amount of hours put into research, put into writing it out, editing it, all of those things. And I started to feel like 
proud of what I put together mm-hmm. by like Saturday night. And I was like, wait a second, am I not leaving any space for God or the spirit? Like, even though I felt led by the spirit on certain topics and things to get across, am I just so focused on everything else? And, and so I had this really long prayer time of, you know, God, I want you to speak tomorrow morning and if you want to throw this all out <laughs> and completely change it when I'm from at the pulpit, then let it be uh, because I just want whatever he has prepared for the congregation to come out. And um, I was like, I'd really like to keep most of it <laughs> because mm-hmm. I worked so hard mm-hmm. on it. But this isn't about me. This isn't about what I want to say. It's about what, what God wants to uh, speak to the congregation and the people that were in attendance. And so... Um, I think that God was, and, and certain things changed, like certain things last minute, two weeks ago for Waiting for a King, and even this week changed um, after rehearsing and practicing them multiple times, um, morning of either from the pulpit or just walking in the door. I was like, oh, I think I think this needs to be added or changed or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And it ended up being much more fruitful than I anticipated in the version that I'd practiced all before. And so God, God has just been so good. And I'm, I'm honored to have the opportunity, uh, not only from the congregation to preach, but also just from God to, to share, uh, his word. And I just hope that I continue to be faithful and that I don't get to any point in ministry where I'm just like, yep, I know that whatever I said is of God. And, mm-hmm. and like, I don't need to mm-hmm. question it or or pray about it or anything like that. I've studied enough or read enough or done it enough that, you know, I know it's true. I, I want to make sure that I'm always, always humbled by God's word and, and before him, before preaching. Yeah. A couple things you mentioned in there. Mm-hmm. One, uh, you're talking about like, how does this fit in with the whole of Scripture? Wesley called that the the whole tenor of Scripture. He mm. said, you know, what is the overarching message of the whole of Scripture? That maybe, you know, we're reading a particular passage or sometimes we're tempted even just to read a singular verse and draw, you know, a theology out of it. Mm. But we've got to ask, how does that fit into all that God is saying mm. in in the scriptures um, and in the whole message of the Bible, um, not least of which was what did Jesus say about it? Yeah. You know, and um, so, so that was one thing I heard. But then the other thing is it's so interesting how God speaks to different people throughout the story of scripture and gives them different signs and things like two that came to my mind. I was talking with the youth group yesterday as I was teaching Sunday school while you were preaching your message for the first time. Um, I was talking with them about Mary and the Annunciation when Gabriel came and told her she was going to become pregnant with a child and give birth to the son of God and how he said, and Oh, by the way, as a sign that everything that I'm telling you is true, you can go visit your cousin Elizabeth, who is way past childbearing yeah. years, but she's pregnant all of a sudden. She's actually six months pregnant now, and you can go see it yourselves. And and she does. She yeah. goes and sees, and, and it causes her, Mary, to, to well up in praise to God, mm-hmm. to have seen what God had done for Elizabeth and was going to do for her. But it also brought to mind um, Moses, you know, 
totally flipping back yeah. in the story. Just a few pages. Uh, just a few pages. To when Moses is, sees God in the burning bush. Mm. And he goes and he's having this conversation with God. And God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to lead my people out of Egypt up to the promised land. And Moses says, well, how will I know that it's you who sent me? And God says to him, well, when you've led the people out of Egypt, you'll worship me here on this same mountain. And it's like... Well, God, what, what kind of a sign is that? After I've done what you've asked me to do, then I'll know that it's what you asked me to do? Like, But that's how God works sometimes. Yeah. And it's not always a cookie-cutter, black-and-white, on-the-page instruction. Yeah. Sometimes we've got to just put our trust in, in God yeah. and what He's saying to us and, and know that as we're obedient to Him— He'll be faithful to do what he says he's going to do. Yeah. And how can you hear from someone that you're not in a relationship with? Right. Right. So if, to, to be more in constant relationship with them. I have the biggest issue, uh, Rebecca will tell you, where I assume she knows every thought <laughs> that I've had through the week. And so there's so many times we're like, oh, yeah, we're doing this in a couple of days. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, didn't I tell you that we're going to have dinner with him? <laughs> so it's so like, oh, or that this youth event or young adult event is going to happen and uh, all these things. And she's like, you didn't tell me any of that. It's like, oh. I should really work on the communication. So to to live with someone, you know, day in, day out and and still not have, you know, that the, all of those things talk through that we should really focus on our relationship with God so that we can hear what he has for us individually as well as a church. Because a lot of times people are like, well, I haven't heard anything. It's like, well, you basically blocked God's number and only go to him when you're asking for requests. And so if you're not in constant relationship, like if Rebecca only came to me with, oh, can you buy this or can you go grab this or whatever, I'd get really, really tired of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, luckily, God has way more patience than I do because mm-hmm. he's love. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that, you know, it's not a two-way street. It takes two to tango. That's what yeah. I've always been told. So in those times where God does seem to be silent mm-hmm. and we don't hear his voice, mm-hmm. what are the three things you mentioned in your sermon that we should do? What are the things we can hold on to? Yeah, so first one is recognize what God has done in the past in his scriptures um, and testimonies that are now in books like i've mentioned before the uh this day in christian history talks a lot about what god has done through his people in christian history Uh, the second thing was to pay attention to what he's doing around you now because a lot of times it is not always happening specifically to you but a beautiful thing about being uh, in the community of believers is that you can see how God is working in other people's lives at this current time. And that can be such an encouragement of, oh, you know, I'm still waiting for him to answer this prayer. I'm still waiting to hear about this, but I'm seeing that he's answering other people's prayers. I'm seeing that he's working in other people's lives. And so recognizing that he is still at work today, uh, which is why it ended up getting cut from the service, especially because we're in Christmas time. But, um, 
If you listen to the song Moving uh, by Tribal, I believe, or Maverick City, or it's a combination of the two, um, is, is a really beautiful song that talks about like paying attention to what God's doing. He's moving nowadays. And then last but not least, of trusting in God for the future as we move forward. Trust Him because you've seen Him be faithful in Scripture. You've seen Him be faithful in your life and other people's lives. There's so many times where I'll ask someone, they're like, oh, I don't know you know, how God is using this or how how God could work through this. Uh, Okay, well, tell me about a time in your life where, you know, he came through and was faithful to you and and you knew that it was God. It was undeniably God at work. Then they give a story and I'm like, okay, so... If he did it then, why can't he do it again? Why why are we limiting, you know, you don't get a, oh, well, I get three God-will-do-me-a-favor tickets uh, or something like that. And, you know, he's already been so good to me and done these three amazing things, these miracles in my life that, like, you know, I think, why do I deserve another one? Or why why would he give me another one? And and God's just so gracious to all of us that uh, his love never ceases and his Mm. mercies are new every morning. And so... We should continue to not just say that we believe those things are true or even believe those things are true, but to live like we believe those things are true. No, absolutely. So we've got to we've got to recognize and remember. We've got to pay attention to what he's doing now. And we've got to trust that the same God we've seen him be, whether in our own lives or in the lives of others, is the same God he's going to be as we move into the future. Mm-hmm. Because he's the God who comes to us. He's the God who incarnated and put on our flesh. And that's what we celebrate here in this Christmas season. Merry Christmas, everybody.